Hello everyone, welcome to the Artist Date, our show together with Pedro Bonato and me, Jana Komarnitska, where we talk about all things, all sorts related to creative life, traveling together, working together and everything in between. <laughs> Indeed, in the last, uh, on the last episode we talked about uh, doing uh, like different approaches to to your like your work and style. I think we're going to continue talking a little bit about this uh, today. But uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. Remember that you can uh, watch us on YouTube. You can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or uh, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, don't forget to like, subscribe to to the channel. Uh, let us know if you have any questions. You can see all the back catalog of uh, episodes at yanadance.com uh, slash artist date. And uh, you can follow us on our social media uh, handles, like mainly Instagram, I guess, is the, the place to be these days for us. For us almost boomers, we're not much on TikTok, although you are sort of on TikTok. I'm trying, I'm trying yeah. to get, but I have waves. <laughs> and, yeah, and um, uh, I guess we can get started. So what do you want to talk about? Well, we are here right now in Curitiba, in Brazil. We have been talking about this in the last previous episodes too. But we are basically approaching our last week here mm -hmm. in Curitiba. And a few days ago, we did one of the projects that was a reason of our delay. Because originally, we were planning to leave Curitiba already a week ago from now. But then one project came up and it was possible to do only early March. That's why we postponed everything and that's the beauty of uh, long time, longer term open traveling. Yeah. That uh, it's kind of a lifestyle traveling that you sometimes have flexibility to extend things and now I guess we had. So I guess uh, we are going to talk about this project, at least part one, because what we were talking in our previous episode was directly related to one of the projects that already happened. Yeah, and uh, just one, um, before we talk about that, just a little note about uh, this thing about us, like, uh, well, we learn as we go, right? How to travel, like, uh, like this long-term thing. And it's one of those things that uh, it's great that we can, like, sometimes extend our stay in one place and, uh, um, uh, like, I don't know, or choose where to go. And I think we should mention that um, after... A long time in Brazil. Um, we are going. We're on the last uh, phase of this trip, right? And we're going to go from here, from Curitiba, which is my. I was not born here, but I consider this my hometown. And uh, from here, we're going to go to São Paulo, and we already decided that, and already bought tickets too, to to go to Egypt, which has been. Uh, a dream of mine. You have already been there like a couple times. I've been only to the uh, Sinai region, which is not, I mean, it is <laughs> Egypt, but it's not ancient Egypt proper, let's say. And then um, now, so that's will be coming up next. Uh, and then uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about this project. So the way it came up was that um, I had a photography project that I wanted to do for a long time. And um, that will be the subject probably of next episode. Let's just yeah. uh, tease it. But then um, I decided one day, oh, let's go to the um, 
uh, it's called in Portuguese called Museu Egípcio Rosa Cruz, which is part of the Rosa Cruz uh, um, um, institution, and they have one of the largest uh, like collections of uh, like Egyptian replicas, and it's like this beautiful, very cool building. Uh, has like three rooms, and uh, I remember going there when I was a teenager, and it was way smaller than mm -hmm. what it is now, so it started like growing, and I told you, oh, let's go check it out, let's go take a look, and um, we were walking there, and then clicked a couple ideas, both for my photo projects, and then for you, for uh, some recordings, for video, for classes, and, um, and then I got in contact with, uh, it's one of those things, maybe that's one also sort of like a lesson for people like that are trying to get projects off the ground uh, about, well, why don't you ask, right? And um, in this case, we got very lucky that they, we, present, we did a proposal of uh, like what we wanted to do, those two projects, and um, they, they liked it and they approved. And then uh, we, they just, they were so uh, welcoming and nice and giving everything we needed to to, to work there and uh, we made sure to that the projects would be of interest to them as an institution, as a museum. Yeah, I think here needs a little clarification here because one project it was about your photography which we'll talk later uh, but another project was dance related project and basically the first initial thought was I remember walking around the museum and they have beautiful outdoor area with uh, replicas and uh, uh, sort of reconstruction of different uh, uh, monuments including obelisk, uh, some like temple, yeah, it's very beautiful in Egyptian style, huge, I mean relatively huge but big, uh, big outdoor area and of course so walking around was like oh it would be so cool to, to record some dance video, what if dance class because at the Young Dance Club our teaching platform, um, one of the concepts is that we are traveling around the world and we record classes in different locations. So it's not only about technique or classes, which is important, but it's also given different environments, which is always nice uh, for the classes. And sometimes um, classes are inspired by environments. So I remember the most similar to this one, what happened was in Turkey in Pamukkale, which is a very... Uh, important side scene of uh, Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. Uh, it's basically a huge mountain, all white, uh, uh, with minerals that give her this uh, this color of white, and it's thermal waters. And the uh, in old times, uh, it was done like a, a thermal like little swimming pools, and who knows, maybe they had some entertainment there. We were like you know letting our imagination go there. So it's a beautiful environment. And when we came there, we was like, okay, maybe we can record some little creative videos. We ended up two or three days in a row. Yeah, usually, we were going to stay there like one day and then we decided, no, we needed to. Because usually people come for like half a day, one day with touristic buses and go. Uh, we ended up doing there three days non-stop recording and we did the whole series which was inspired by location which is intensive um the power of imagination but it's about dance technique so it's all that needs necessary for dancers but inspired by their location and it was beautiful recording i remember like in this waters in this white not snow because it's not snow but this yeah. white mountain with um hot air balloons <laughs> around so i know 
students, like members of the club also had a lot of fun watching those classes and following classes. And it does give a very specific sense, sensation to when you're learning, like little, it's just different environment than just doing in a simple dance studio, which is also valid. It's just different and I like combining this uh, the club so walking around the museum was like also that idea like oh it would be so cool if we can record some classes for the club mm -hmm. but it's not a location that we can go and let's say rent it out or can we just like pay for this many hours come record it's a museum and uh, with dance in general but specifically with like ballet dance there's a lot of stereotypes and a lot of resistance between institutions in general so i was like ah like i don't know like it's almost seemed in the beginning impossible like what what do you mean but then we more the more we were uh, walking around and just brainstorming this idea uh one thought came out that just was perfect for class and, and then we, we thought like oh maybe museum also will get interested in having something like that created uh, at them and the idea was basically uh going into egyptian mythology and exploring archetypes of different egyptian goddesses because first of all like ballet dance egypt it's very connected it's originated in egypt there are many discussions when exactly how old is it really temple dance was it really used to worship goddesses or is it more back then it was like folkloric and temple dan temple dances were something completely different and then this time in the last few centuries it evolved into belly dance or raksharki another name for it so there are many discussions about that that can be one connection but another connection was just for me the idea of archetype because in dance it's not only about movement it's not about just technique it's about character it's about emotion it's about message but mainly like creating this character on stage and it's not like necessarily that oh you're dancing the goddess isis or you're dancing the goddess bastard or any other it's not even about that it's more about the qualities or symbols that those goddesses represent and typically if you're talking about female goddesses it's different uh, nuances or, or qualities or female energy that if you dive into this character uh, first of all it's just interesting as a process as a work but you can take and see how you can explore it and incorporate into dancing even if you're your dance let's say like as an actual performance has nothing to do with like goddess this or that it's not about that it's more about emotional exploration and archetypes of it so when we were start talking about this like oh i think this is a cool idea and it would be awesome and perfect like to do it in the museum maybe record some lectures about egyptian mythology about goddesses and when we present it to museum they actually liked it and it was really cool to see that like, it, I don't know, to me it feels like different level, like incorporating institutions mm -hmm. in our work, which was unexpected to me. Yeah, so the this idea that, uh, like, that we're leveling up a couple things, like with institutions, I think is very cool indeed. Um, I mean, we've, in music and in photography, we've done, like, uh, like for music, we did a few, like, shows related to, like, muse with museums, especially the... Aga Khan in Smiley Center in Toronto. Yeah. We did a bunch of uh, of uh, 
with our band, the Bulldog Ensemble, we did a bunch of shows there that were thematic and they were, say, backed by an institution, not a government institution, but like, um, like in that case, a museum. And, um, and I was always also very fond of museums, as you know, like, so it's, uh, it was very special to do something with them. And also, I think it also elevates uh, dance, what, something that you were saying, like, uh, it's sort of like, you put your good clothes, like your beautiful outfit to go out and do something important, you know, like you don't expect to be wearing like, I don't know, like your, I don't know, sweatpants, uh, like to go do like something. And I think that preparation elevates your game, just like when you put a uniform or you put like your, I don't know, like doing this, this analogy with fashion and also like where you do like certain things, like if you have a certain stage to perform or if you have like, for, for me, photography, if you have like a beautiful location and a cool idea, it uh, accentuates certain like creative things, right? And uh, I think, uh, I think that also like is an important thing because like I was really like, the photography project has been on my mind for a long time. Um, sort of like a few false starts before, but then I said, you know what, let's just go for it. And then you decided, oh, let me, oh, maybe they'll like this. You were in doubt about dance because of like stereotypes and stuff. We knew already that this, uh, both the museum and the, um, like the Rosa Cruz Institution, they were, they had already done some, um, like belly dance related, like video there or something. So we didn't know like what, how they feel like, like even scheduling out wise, like if it would be possible to do, but then it was one of those things like find out, actually we, we went there a few months ago and everybody was on vacations, right? So we had, okay, let's wait until like February to, to do. And then like, so it took a little while for us to be able to get a hold of with the people that would uh, make the decisions and that we would pitch the idea. And uh, then he said, let's do something and then you came up with your idea related to to the goddesses archetypes right so it's um and then of course writing the project uh for them so that uh and that's actually something to mention too i think for people that would like to eventually like get in contact with institutions right to show your like your credentials right so whatever other kind of works you have done which is something we did we selected a lot of uh, like uh, classes that would serve an example inclusive in the including inclusive including the ones done in uh, in pamukkali and uh, also seeing from the point of view of the institution right it's like it's the people there um that uh, what's in it for them right so and for their mission i think that's the the main uh, thing to to consider and then we wrote it in a couple days actually they were super like fast they they um the decision makers there just said yes let's go ahead and um and then we got uh, ready to do it i think even even the the class themselves the, the classes themselves they were a little bit different than what you usually do right well that was uh, quite an interesting challenge for me because i had uh, the general idea the general concept uh, but like i remember in permacala those classes they also came up very naturally and spontaneously because usually i have like a curriculum it's like oh i know i want this topic then i need to highlight this topic like there is a little like at least half a year planning what i want to add to the club as a progression like what one topic after another would be interesting or like varied 
Uh, but sometimes, like, some things comes up spontaneously. So Pamukkale was completely spontaneous, but it was very much on spot, and I went more with the flow creating classes, and then I saw, oh, there was actually a combining topic. Like, the last class of that series, I remember creating already with that topic, but first two, they were more naturally coming, and then I combined them in one topic about... Uh, which ended up being about emotions and performance anxiety and helping dancers to go through it using imagination uh, to deal with the subject. So it was afterwards. And here it was different situation. I had the general concept, which I really liked. And I know like, okay, it's, it's valid. It's a cool idea. But then they approved. And then it was like, I had one moment at some point like, okay, but now I have to come up with a three very particular dance classes <laughs> so not just from idea of like oh it would be cool to explore but what exactly can i do in the classes to support this idea so it was interesting process because for me it was also researching more about egyptian mythology and not just having like the general idea of what was possible but having a very particular topics and like points of like okay this class is focused on this this class is focused on that and of course because the topic is uh, unusual it's not something that is taught very often in dance classes in general i think think feel in dance classes it's not the main subject of uh, like expressing emotions or creating character and state it's usually about technique musicality and then you somehow naturally need to figure out how to express emotions on stage or just this practice that comes up it's not like there are separate like topics or classes on just trying to connect with your body connect with your emotions see how they um, manifest through movements it's not very typical if we're talking about ballet dance, because no, contemporary, modern, other than styles, uh, it's slightly different, I believe. But in ballet dance, it's not really something that teacher will stop and, and teach. And now I'm also doing it via pre-recorded classes. So it's not like you have a group of people in a room with like this energy life. It's different. You need to transform it via pre-recorded classes. It is a very particular topic. So it was an interesting process and it was interesting to see how the more I was digging and researching and trying to come up, okay, the first class about this, the first about that, the more interesting ideas were coming up and we ended up with three very different classes in general, but they are all about seeing how the different archetypes of different Egyptian goddesses can manifest or can be used in dance. So again, it's not about dancing an Isis or dancing a Bastet or any other goddess. It's not about that. It's feeling that sim symboli symbolism that is incorporated in those um, goddesses and using it in order to create specific character that you want to portray on stage, whatever character it is, like goddess or village girl or fantasy bird or whatever it is uh, in your dance. So it's not about trying to replicate or represent goddesses. It's going a little bit deeper in the emotional layer of what those goddesses uh, mean. Yeah, I think it's even deeper than emotional layer because uh, when you think about even where you recorded um, a couple uh, class, a couple lectures with one of the specialists there at the museum. And uh, one of the things that uh, that reminded me when she was uh, when she was talking about because you selected basically three goddesses that and then each, each of those three classes would be based 
on these archetypes and this understanding. But I think it's, uh, I was thinking about this, like how much both in all mythology, right? From the Mesopotamians and then with, uh, with uh, Egyptians and then later, I think the, with, with the Greeks, it got to something that is closer to what we know today, but how much it's related to like, there is this cosmological part of it, which is like, oh, this God is this, this, or this God did that. Um, but it's also about the human like experience in general. So it's about psychology. Mm-hmm. It's about the, let's say, roles that we, we have in, uh, in our lives. And I think your idea of relating that to dance movements, and especially in this, those environments, right? Um, and it's something that I know that the, um, the Rosa Cruz Order uh, really, uh, they're really into like these ideas of like ancient secrets and ancient uh, archetypes and, uh, and the use of archetypes through history. I think it's, it's very cool that we're able to do it there. And uh, also, um, one thing that I think it's interesting from the point of view of online education is that, that I had this idea when we were recording one of the classes on the last day that suddenly, and you're like, done. And then you had a couple minutes to record a little bit more. And then all these kids uh-huh. went to, to go visit the museum. And uh, I was thinking about this, like, that in a way, it's something that is only really possible today with online classes that we're actually taking students on a field trip. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like how I felt. Yeah. And then like it's they can come there anytime. They can hopefully with the video, it's like that's my job, like to make sure that the like the aesthetics of it will uh, reflect the cla- the let's say this the the uh, teaching uh, part and also the let's say conceptual part that you are working on. But then you'll be able to like go into that, and uh, it's not just a dance studio. Like, and I think this idea it changes one thing for you and also for me. Like recording is that it's never um, controlled environment. Oh yeah, it's a different topic. <laughs> yes. But before before we dive into that, yeah, because yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a different mm-hmm. different yeah. conversation. But I do agree that it does make a difference. And even for video classes, even if it's for someone who is super focused on teaching on learning dance, and you come for a teacher specific for dance technique, you don't care really. But seeing a bunch of classes in the same environment, okay, it's focused on classes. I'm not saying it's bad, but how many times we received feedback from members, from students of the Yana Dance Club, saying like, oh my God, this environment just took me, like, it just makes a difference looking at the screen and seeing a nice environment, both like we did at the beach, uh, people were like really commented. <laughs> we did in Cappadocia, like in those caves, and we even called it like online retreats to Cappadocia and to Pamukkale, both things. We did it some old-style old Ottoman rooms, and people like, they feel that it's different, and it kind of helps to transform, to transport yourself, like Many people come to dance as a little escape, emotional escape from day-to-day life and having it also in a different environment and when you never like know where exactly where the next class will take you, it helps only to have this emotional relief and break uh, from like stress or everyday problems or etc. Like no, this like 20 minutes or one hour, whatever this class is, it I'm somewhere 
in my world, in the dance world. Uh, and it just adds and it makes fun. But yes, recording <laughs> on locations. Yeah, There's so many things that goes wrong typically. Or not wrong. Not as planned. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, but I think, uh, but my point about that specifically is like, yeah, like you're going to record, especially if you're recording something outdoor. And uh, we were there, like at the museum, they were great because they put, like, we had the whole place for ourselves, like a complete support from them, but they can't control the weather yet. So, and especially Curitiba, there is a city that, like, the weather changes on a whim. So you can be like literally walking down and uh, it's sunny and then suddenly starts uh, raining. Not walking down, let's clarify. You can be on the 10th floor, it looks sunny. By the time you get the elevator and gets down, it's completely stormy and rainy. Like yeah. it's insane, <laughs> literally insane. And it changes five, seven times per day. Yeah. Like it's insane <laughs> like yeah, how do you uh, live here people the, yeah Curitiba is uh it's known for its uh let's say having the four seasons uh, on the same day but so like when we were recording like uh actually in general like I think it's an acquired uh like skill especially on your part to be able to keep in mind let's say the content and the quality of whatever you're trying to explain and at the same time um dealing with these uh like unexpected things right like uh, from I don't know, like, there was a bird that suddenly started. I thought it was some sort of machinery, and suddenly... Uh, there was a construction, so we came. And yeah. it's also another thing that we uh, work with different, like, locations to venues, and people say, sometimes even indoors that happens, that people, oh, yeah, it's quiet, quiet, but they don't realize that someone scrubbing the floor in the next room or the wall, like... In the corridor hallway for them it's quiet because nobody talks but on the video that we are recording it's damn loud <laughs> we hear that that's not quiet so when we came there there was a little construction far away which was still fine but then there was that very strange bird which i also thought yeah. and i was like i need to teach the class and i was like i don't know should i stop is it too loud but pedro doesn't give me any signals maybe it's not too loud because sometimes i don't realize maybe i'm just distracted and you have this two thoughts <laughs> parallel one part of your brain keeps going with the class what you need to teach and another is trying to analyze is it too loud sound should i stop is it a waste of time like a waste of recording but he doesn't tell me anything yeah, so no, that's my job like uh, this part of like whenever recording you have the technical parts that like both from like video but also like check audio check the environment check this check that like there's all sorts of things that need to be like done and it was um yeah but like in when you get used to it it sort of like gets to okay we have this mission let's like make sure we can do it but there were many times when uh, we had like aborted mission we had like two three days that we needed to go and uh, record yeah. again so it's just part of the deal no, there are certain things that you cannot get used to this didn't happen during this shoot because it was in the venue and it was pretty much for ourselves we only had to deal with rain which actually one of the drills i was recording last minute yeah. already under rain yeah, and i was like raining. okay he knows i'm about to finish it's end of the class but he doesn't give me any signals so maybe it's okay to keep going and his camera will survive recording me let's just finish the class but uh, the thing that you cannot get used to i just can't 
I understand logically, but I just can't get used and can't get wrap my mind around is when you're recording, there is a camera in front of you, there is a speaker with little music, there is mic on you, you're talking, and someone walking, passing <laughs> by, gets right in the shot, comes close to you, and start trying to talk to you. Like, <laughs> no. And that happened more than once. Twice, I think. More than uh, once. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, I don't know. It's part of video work. Like, if we could have an assistant that stays outside and blocks the scene, that's out cloud, like you block, not block the scene, but like block the, the place where you're shooting. Um, it's like, whatever, people do that. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. So, like, it's uh, it's just part of... But that's just uh, something for me, like, I cannot get used to it. Like, no. I understand it happens from time to time, but it's like, no, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, that's like, people are in their own uh, worlds. And uh, also, the other thing, like, that you have to see that a lot of people, now just thinking about this, like, when it's like news or anything like that, people will get in on the camera and say hello and stuff. It's sort of like want to be part of history, you want to be a part of the thing. That's, uh, I know it doesn't help you. But no. <laughs> uh, and uh, I guess like just to, I guess, to, I don't know if there's much more to, uh, maybe we can keep this episode a bit shorter. But, for a change. Uh, for a change, yeah. No, but the one thing that I think it's interesting too, like it's something that both of this, uh, right now we're focusing more on the like recording of the classes. At the, at the museum uh, and then next week uh, probably we're going to talk about the photography project that I'm working on there too uh, but I think it's something too that I really like like uh, in um, let's say previous uh, incarnation of my works I was uh, like working the Brazilian Ministry of Science and Technology so I was uh, trying to work with science popularization it's a passion of mine since I was like the team and um, in a way I was thinking that how that happens um, how certain things you can't help but put on your work even when you're not um, consciously doing it when it's part of your values mm-hmm. you just put it there like if it's really something that you like and then I was thinking like and I always had a love for museums especially let's say modern times when museums are not just research places and places to show um let's say, part of history, that they're more educational, but they're also places where you create. And I really like it. Mm-hmm. It's something that has always been, and you will see later with the photography project, it's very much about that. Uh, but I think even in this one too, that it's like this idea of dancing in the museum, using the space of the museum to create not only art, but create uh, related uh, things. Like imagine having this like dance class maybe inspired maybe with echoes of this movements that are super ancient mm-hmm. possibly um, and uh, it just reminded me that the museum is the it's called the house of the muses right it's the place to get inspiration right and then you get this inspiration and at least I guess in our case is this idea of the breathing out the expiration that is, you're presenting something that is changed by, by yourself. And I think in, this, uh, in these classes, we're really able to, to do it. Like, I was very, very happy with, uh, with the way we, like, like, you created the curricula, the way that we selected the locations and uh, were able to, to make the project work. Yeah, and it's something that also is different. Sometimes you visit the museum 
just of curiosity or like some piece of new information or maybe inspiration. But in this case, what I also liked, it's kind of practical application of both environment and information from there. Because, I mean, yes, we are talking from dance point of view for dancers, but still it's it was not just about, oh, let's record some dance tutorial in this environment. It was very much close connected to the theme of museum and resources of the museum. And seeing how we, from practical point of view, can incorporate and enhance our dancing from that style. So I am really excited to share it uh, soon in a few months uh, inside the platform and I know some of the members of the Young Adams Club watching us so <laughs> they're yeah. probably excited to see it uh, too but we'll be in a few months still I need to record a couple of additional lectures to summarize and to make it complete topic but uh, the main core of like the dance content is uh, is already done and that yeah. was really cool yeah in the lecture from there uh, one of the lectures yeah one of the lectures with their like specialists there so that was really cool and um yeah, so now we are on our third Airbnb in Curitiba. <laughs> and, well, technically uh, fourth. Yeah, technically fourth. And um, and then we're going to go soon to Sao Paulo after we finish this. And also, like, just as a tangential thing, too, that I think it's, it's not necessarily related, but it's kind of cool, too, that I had the opportunity yesterday of... Uh, I had this... Uh, to go to your personal museum. Yes, basically. Yes, a personal archaeological dig I went yesterday. So I had... When I left Curitiba, the city, to, to go first to Brazil and then to Toronto and then to Kiev, but like to, to moving, right? It was... Um, I left a lot... It was sort of like, okay, you were approved for this job that I told you about the ministry. Um, I... And that was 18 years ago. Also on Women's Day, Happy Women's Day for everybody. On the on the eighth was also my anniversary of getting into the ministry. Ah, right. So it was interesting that so yesterday was the ninth. They were recording this on the tenth of March. Uh, they I went to my friend's house that he. So when I left here, I left a bunch of boxes as a lot of kids do. I left my parents' house like this. I don't know, twenty boxes with from comic books to notebooks to bunch of stuff. And um, some of those things I left that I traveled with them. I'm traveling, I mean, in my houses, I always had those things that would, like uh, my first comic book, my first drawing, my first, this, like little things like those mementos uh, from before that mean something. And then, you know, someday I will go back to my parents' house and take a look at what's there. Uh, and then they moved. They decided to move to, if you've seen our previous episodes, so we were actually at my parents, my new parents' house. Uh, and they told me like with two weeks notice, oh, we're moving. You have to see what to do with your stuff here. It's like, okay. And then uh, my best friend here in Curitiba, he was gracious enough to said, oh, no worries. So I'll keep your stuff. And uh, it survived floods and moves and all this <laughs> stuff. So I'm eternally thankful to him and his family to be able to keep those things for a while. And then yesterday I went to his house and then we were having a churrasco like a Brazilian barbecue and we were just the two of us and we were talking and we were, um, I started, okay, let me grab these boxes and start seeing what's inside. And um, it's one of those things that, oh, oh, look at this thing, look at that thing. And, uh, and then even things that were like this drawing that he did, first thing that I opened had this drawing that he did when we were like 15 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I give to him, to him, oh, look, this. And then he looks and he holds it. And he keeps it. Like, and his eyes said, no, no, you can keep it. Like, you drew it. I remember us talking and, uh, and you drew it. So that was like really cool. And then uh, something he was looking for that was, uh, but he lost it in the like uh, uh, sands of time. He, um, a friend of ours, when we were 24, uh, we we're all the same age, uh, he died in a motorcycle accident. And he was like a super, like very cool guy. He was, um, let's say, a, a bright person that had a, like amazing future ahead and decided to go on a motorcycle and got like an accident. So uh, my friend that uh, he plays like guitar and uh, he created a song and we only played it once. Like uh, when all our friends got together after the funeral, um, this is 20 years ago. And he, um, and I remember how like very emotional he got after he sang and left it and this, those things. And I found the, like the tablature, like the music sheet and the, and, the, and, the, um, and the lyrics for the song in my papers. It was like right there. And then I gave it to him and then he was like, and uh, the reason why I'm mentioning this, uh, the, the story is that it's sort of like you never know what you find when you're digging into your own like, um, like personal things and those things that you left for later, you know? So, uh, and that's one of those things that I guess uh, even people that don't travel that much, like you can always travel in time on your like box of stuff that is there for like uh, for you to see and I think in a way it's very related even though it's like a personal history like it's very related to to a museum and uh, that it's um, uh, a museum is on display things and in this case it's sort of like an archaeological dig right so you're looking through those things and uh, you can pay attention to your like emotional map about those things and um, in a way they are uh, like um, very related in the just like a museum once you find something of value or something beautiful, something with a meaning, then you want to put it on display. And so I think like whenever you go through your, um, the stuff from your past, not necessarily to exercise or like beat yourself up or congratulate yourself or whatever version of this, it's sort of like, okay, there's this thing, this thing still exists. So where does it fit in your modern world you know so anyway just one of those like uh serendipitously it's something that i wanted to do in curitiba it was on my to-do list whenever i came here i want to go check out what was there and i found a lot of very cool things like i mean cool from like from my past my point of view it was um it was uh very interesting and then connecting to museums i always thought huh the uh, the things that we see there they were from someone you know and uh, they're part of this history and now we're connected to them because it's part of us too especially when you create something new there you know so hopefully people will enjoy it uh, when they see it on that note let's finish off so i'm pedro bonato this is jana komarnitska you have been watching artist date i think it's episode 24 um and uh, again if you like the show if you have any questions for us just uh, like shoot it shoot it we'll I'll make sure to, to reply to you and we'll see you on the next episode.